Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, we started a sermon series yesterday, and I'm going to be honest, this is something that I was excited to preach on because I've used this thing in counseling, but I kind of just wanted to open it up to the whole church and say, okay, let's talk about this as a church. Is this a helpful tool for us? We're, We're calling it the decision grid. And it's a two by two grid. And, you know, I think all three of us are big Andy Crouch fans and he's a big fan of two by two grids. I'm a big fan. There's one that um, Paige and I always use in marriage counseling. Um, and I think it's like got a famous name called like the Einstein, not, it's not Einstein, Eisenhower grid or something like that. But it's basically like, it, you know, it, it's on like, what should you prioritize? Like, mm-hmm. are you yeah. able to change it? You know, and is it important? Right. Yeah. Or are you really not able to change it and is it unimportant? And so like when you have stressors in your life, start with the things that you're able to change and that are important. And then the things that you're really not able to change or maybe the unimportant kind of move to the the opposite mm-hmm. quadrant. So anyway, so this is something that like the two by two grid idea is super practical. It's not it's not perfect. It doesn't always work. Um, but I do think it kind of helps us formulate the thing that mm-hmm. I, I like that I said yesterday is like it, it helps you to have to it keeps you from having to make false choices right yeah and I think a lot of times in life it's like it's either this or this well it's like no actually like maybe it can be both of these things right. um and so anyway that's the hope of the series Blake you said it really well I thought we're, we're really talking about flourishing in the Christian life here mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah we're not talking about you know, you have to make all of the righteous and wise decisions in life in order to be accepted by God. It's not the salvation yeah. grid. Yeah. No, no, it's a decision <laughs> grid. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus is the only one who's ever lived totally in that quadrant. And so that's why we're dependent on him. But we serve a God who redeems all of our decisions, the good ones and the bad ones. And yeah, so that's right. Um, and so the, but what we are after is um, our joy, you know, the joy of our church members, like we want them to flourish as Christians. And so you flourish as Christians when you act according to what is ultimate. That's right. And so, yeah, my, I had two interesting questions yesterday and I, I, I maybe should have anticipated these kinds of questions. I think when you, you preach something like this in just terms of like some of the practical nature of scripture, especially in a church that like ours, that we, we love to think about God's sovereign grace and God's supremacy in all things. When you, when you start talking about human action, which of course we also see in scripture, it, it can kind of make people maybe a little nervous. And, and I had, you know, one person said, well, isn't, you know, one person asked, you know, isn't our only hope of righteousness in Christ? And if you heard that I said something opposite, I, I tried to kind of begin the whole sermon with this long treatise on, um, the glory of God and the right perspective of God. And, and the only way to mm-hmm. know this God is in Christ. And yeah. it, but if I anyway did not make that clear, let me make it clear right now that our only hope of righteousness, our only hope of, of understanding who God is and putting God in his right place is 
God's special kindness to us, God's special revelation of his grace for right. us that he's shown us in Jesus, uh, our only hope of being made right with him. So our, my, my only hope of righteousness is in Christ. Now, as a Christian, as I understand what God has done for me, as I understand the power of what God has done for me and as the spirit of God is working inside of me, then I can actually move from someone who doesn't just have a record of righteousness imputed to me by Christ, but actually a person who's now following Jesus as a disciple, making righteous decisions and doing things that are actually mm -hmm. pleasing to the Lord. Yeah. yeah, and I think in your sermon yesterday, like I, I feel like you illustrated that really well when you talked about the God consciousness that we were designed for, right. the self-consciousness that dominates our minds and our motives a lot of times. I mean, we, we have found ourselves in this this line of Adam where we need we need total redemption. And so I think you did a good job yesterday explaining that. Yeah, I mean, I, you had three movements of gospel centrality, gospel clarity in there. But still, if I'm listening and I'm that reformed thinker, as soon as you go back to uh, human onus and responsibility, the flag goes up. And are you telling me that I can just simply learn to make really good decisions. So that was another question that was asked by me. And again, I'm, I'm, I love this. Like, mm -hmm. like, and so if you're listening to this, like this is the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church that like we have a sermon talk back. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. you can talk back to the sermon, you know, mm -hmm. and we want you to ask questions and we want you to figure this stuff out. Cause all of these things require us thinking about these things. And so, Another question was like, well, when did you become a Christian? They said, you, you've lived in all four of these quadrants. You know, were you only in the bottom left before you became a Christian? And the answer is no. I, I made decisions that were both wicked and foolish as a believer. Right. Right. And, and I've made decisions that were uh, wicked and wise as a believer. And I've made decisions that were were righteous and unwise. So I've lived in all four of these quadrants as an unbeliever. And, and again, I came to faith at a very young age, so it's hard for me to remember a lot of those moments. But I came, I, I'm sure I made all these decisions as an unbeliever, and but I've made all these decisions as a, as a believer also. Mm -hmm. Now, what I would say is, if the pattern of your life is wickedness and foolishness, or even if the pattern of your life is wickedness if, you, if, if any of the three quadrants, except for the fourth, is the pattern of your life and you're not showing growth, then I would question any salvation you've had. I would question that the Spirit mm -hmm. is at work in your life. Mm -hmm. I would say, is this evidence of an unrepentant heart? Is this, is this evidence of an unbelieving heart? So all Christians are going to make decisions in all of these quadrants because we're fighting the old man. We're still sinners. We haven't been perfectly, um, you know, mm -hmm. sanctified yeah. yet. But we... You know, hopefully the pattern of our life is not in one of those other. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's probably the argument that even old man John in First John seems to make this progression of the more you know the Lord, the more you delight in Him, the less sin is going to be in your life. Which means the the more righteous and wise decisions you'll be making in the process of knowing the Lord and being sanctified and refined by him. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's another good question too, is like, what does it mean to behold the glory of the Lord and be transformed, you know, from one degree of glory to the next? And, and what, and I think the question becomes is, how do we behold the glory of the Lord? Hmm. And then, and then how do we activate how we behold the glory of the Lord? And so the answer is you behold the glory of the Lord now by faith. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
because most of us aren't having visions of God like Isaiah did, right? And so we're, right. we're beholding the glory of the Lord, not by sight, mm-hmm. but by faith. And how do you activate that faith? Well, you activate that faith in, in a number of different ways. I mean, obviously God can meet us and show himself to us when you're like cutting your grass or mm-hmm. when you're doing all sorts of things. But typically the patterns are God shows you himself in this glorious way in his word, or he shows mm-hmm. you himself in this glorious way through the church, through other believers. He shows you himself in this way as you're serving. Again, and it's not that God's limited to those things right. because I've had amazing moments of worship outside of traditional mm-hmm. spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. But I do know that the, that the more I kind of engage with what I know how I know God is and has revealed himself, the more I'll behold him, the more I'll be changed. And so I do think it's important for us to think like, are we considering the instruction of the scripture on righteousness and unrighteousness? Are we considering the instruction of scripture on wisdom and foolishness? And how Mm -hmm. do we, when we consider these, are we making the same kinds of decisions and thinking the same way and having the same desires that Christ has? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, even as you were talking, it, it was, you know, I realized that like when you make the foolish but righteous decision, you know, your response in that moment is to repent and thank God for his grace. Right, right. Whenever you right. make the wicked foolish decision, what is your response? It's to repent and thank God for his grace. When you make the worldly wise man decision, what is your response? It is to repent and thank God for his grace. That's but right. whenever you make that decision, the righteous and wise decision, what is your response? To thank God for his to grace. Thank God for his grace. Right. Like it's, yeah. It, it's, God is pursuing us, no matter the decisions we make. It's just yeah. our response That's really after these, you know, are to thank God for his grace, yeah. sometimes through repentance, sometimes through confidence in his work in your life. And, and, that, and that's why the attitude of the Christian should never be, um, thank God that I'm not like this tax collector. It mm-hmm. should only be, mm-hmm. have mercy on me, a sinner. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that is right. the this is Martin Luther, right? Mm -hmm. The whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. You know, there are a few times like Lou said, actually in this morning's our daily rhythm that we accidentally do the right thing. (laughs) But you know, we, we're, we're always in a spirit of at least just humility and gratitude Mm -hmm. before the Lord. And I, I love the verse that we were using yesterday. The righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead if you read it wrong, you don't read what you just said, Blake. If you read it wrong, it's, no, oh, I make some good choices. I'm, I'm delivering myself. But it's the, it's the deliverer that gets the credit in here. And that's obviously Christ. That's the Lord. He delivers the righteous. Therefore, he's the one that makes us that's right. righteous. And it's just understood in there. It's just beautiful in that poetry. That's mm-hmm. really good. One of the things that came up yesterday uh, that I said we need to spend more time on. And I was talking about the kind of bottom right quadrant, the worldly wise man, is this whole kind of deconstruction movement that's going on um, in Christianity. I've had a lot of people ask me about this. You know, well, what do I take of this? What's going on? And, and I think typically the way that I see it manifest, and it's just a, it's symptomatic of post-modernity, mm-hmm. right? It. And it is this kind of whole, well, you know, I don't like using the names of God. Like, I don't like calling God, God, but we should call him like the spirit power or something. And, Mm -hmm. and any sort of like formational doctrine, um, or any sort of exclusive statement, Mm -hmm. anything that like would claim that there is an absolute truth Mm -hmm. somewhere 
it's pushing back against that. And it's kind of giving reins to this like personal discovery truth. Um, and I, I was probably thinking about that a little bit more in particular last week. And I just think this is a very interesting case study. Probably one of the reasons it showed up in my sermon is, you know, Joshua Harris like started these classes. Joshua Harris was the guy that wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, became a pastor of a church um, in Maryland. Actually, Jordan Coughlin was, you know, under Josh's pastoring for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and then Josh like basically left to go study and then he's now left the faith. And now he's giving these classes of like, you know, basically self-discovery kind of classes. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and it was interesting last week, a lot of people really critiqued this and Josh Harris like pulled the class, you know? Mm -hmm. And yep. so it, but I actually think like that whole even paradigm, even to the point of him pulling the class is kind of indicative of what this whole thing is. It is a response. It is a response to, oh, Christianity is not that cool or like evangelicals because they're these kind of people. I don't want to be associated with them. Yeah. I see this whole phenomenon more as, wait, I, I, I became a Christian to get a good reputation. I became a Christian to like get worldly wisdom. I became a Christian to help my business out or whatever. And now people are like questioning Christianity. And so I'm moving into this deconstruction mode. A lot of the folks that I see in that mold, I think, came from those kinds of churches that always presented Christianity as kind of like a good deal. Like, yeah. don't you want this good deal? And now, like, they're realizing, like, I don't want to be associated with this. And I gave the example of Judas. Like Judas, oftentimes they're like going to see if they can you know, in some cases, literally make money or at least find a sense of mm -hmm. sophisticated credibility yeah. somewhere else. Um, and so it's a fascinating thing for me to watch. I know Thomas, I'm sure you, Blake, have some kind of ideas, thoughts on this. Well, I, I was I, I was influenced by Joshua Harris and several of these other folks that have since walked away from the faith that carried a lot of weight and a lot of influence. So I did some just listening over the weekend where different folks were interviewed on podcasts and whatnot, just to hear from the horse's mouth, like what happened. And it was, it was really sad, but as you listen, it was so easy to see, man, this was really led out by feelings. I, I don't feel like the faith I subscribe to is working out the way it was supposed to work out, which is exactly what you just said. And you, you trace it down and it really is, the faith that a lot of those folks were offered and offered to other people was almost God as a genie in the bottle. If I come to God, I get out of hell. If I come to God, even I get some stuff. Even the purity culture that Josh Harris built, for example, when I was a kid, it was always pitched to me as like, don't have sex until you're married so that you won't have get an STD. That's right. And then when you do have sex, it'll be like the greatest sex ever. It, it yeah. was like... It was like, look, there's a better product out there. It was never like, God is glorious, mm -hmm. God is awesome, delight in God, delight in what he has laid out for us. It was more like God's way gives you a better product in the end. That's and right. the end was better sex with your wife someday or no sexual transmitted diseases. Yeah. And I think everybody like in my generation was like, wait a second, we have condoms so we can avoid that. And like, actually like, I'm having great sex right now. Like, and so I, the, the, the product didn't hold weight. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that the same kind of thing happened. I mean, and, and I'm not trying to make this political or whatever, but like, I do think like in the nineties, that same kind of era of what I'll call like the sales pitchy Christianity. Um, and, and I'm seeing a lot of this was very attached to kind of like right wing moral things. And then when they, a lot of these people saw evangelicals kind of attach themselves, whatever you think about is, is politics. It's not a statement, but obviously some of the immorality of Donald Trump, I think that, that it created in them like, wait a second, I thought I was on like the right side of history here. And now like we're attaching to this immorality and they've just kind of <clears throat> left the whole industry. But, mm -hmm. but yeah. I think what you're saying is, and this is what I'm trying to say, the faith that a lot of these people are rejecting isn't Christian faith. That's exactly right. It is some sort of American propaganda thing that sold a lot of books and yeah. that maybe got people to behave in a certain way, but it, it, it actually wasn't a devotion and love of Jesus the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, ex that's exactly right. They uh, embodied a faith that was never what the Bible says. It, it wasn't this, uh, the Lord bids me come and die. I have been crucified with Christ. Let me join in the sufferings of the Lord. Like it was a real soft serve offering of the gospel. And it was a gospel that only gave really good things all the time to people who followed all the right rules. And it's yeah. just not what we see in the New Testament. But the problem, and, and we were talking about this earlier, Blake, the problem is, well, man, so can I not ask any questions about my faith? Because like, these guys asked all the questions and just loved the yeah. questions and never got, went with answers. But I thought you had some good thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I was saying, you know, it, it's hard to believe that the deconstructionist now is anything but just a culture a believer in the winds of the culture yeah right i mean like back in the 90s it was cool to be a christian in the culture like i mean right i mean there especially you know leading up till then but now the culture's changed right mm -hmm. and uh it's no longer a virtue in our culture hardly in any large sphere to be a person who believes in absolute truth that Jesus is Lord and that that means something. Yeah. And, that's and not you're cool. not seeing deconstruction among like Afghani Christians, you know, uh, that's <laughs> where right. it's like always been hard to believe. That's like, right. It, this is like a very like American Western thing um, mm -hmm. because the Afghani Christian likely had a true faith, not this right. false kind of propaganda yeah. faith. So Sorry. it's, so it's, you know, you have attached yourselves and or this person has attached himself or herself, who, whoever this is, to just what the culture is putting forward. That's right. That's it. And and you just going along with the flow of the masses. You're going along with the flow of of the Enlightenment. I mean, really, in post modernity. And so, Sarah. But to Thomas's point, like, you know, we we aren't a church that believes that you shouldn't ask deep questions, right? I That's mean, right. God created us as curious beings. Mm -hmm. um, because there's glory in his revelation. Uh, his glory meets our curiosity and it creates this great moment of, of joy. And it, it, it puts us in the place that we were intended for. And it's yeah. called redemption and it's seeing the glory of Christ. And um, in all of our answers to questions, find their yes and amen in, in Jesus ultimately mm -hmm. as Christians. And so mm -hmm. uh, we as Christians... We, we ask questions for sure, uh, but we don't do so realizing that questions are the only thing that's out there. There is right. truth. You, you, you said the word answers and mm -hmm. our faith, our Bible, our God can handle a lot of scrutiny.
and he can handle a lot of questions, but he also gives us answers. And we have to be okay with he is God and I am not. And when he gives me an answer, I need to receive that answer. And that's part of this grid even. Well, and, and I think this is a really good point because I think part of this false faith is this kind of God is whoever you want him to be mm-hmm. kind of thing that people are rejecting or that's what they're becoming. I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard to like pinpoint the starting point and the ending point. Um, but I mean, I do think Judas is an interesting case study here mm-hmm. because he followed Jesus. He was mm-hmm. with Jesus. And then of course, like he went away. And I think to me, as I've kind of pondered this, and again, we don't have a like Judas, we don't have like Judas's journal, but I think like <laughs> the, the most likely conclusion of what like is happening is Judas had a vision of what Jesus was going to be like. And it was a vision of power and it was a vision of influence. Remember it was Judas that like got upset that the oil was used to anoint the feet. I mean, it was Judas that kept the money back. There, there, there seems to be a narrative of like, mm-hmm. Jesus is the Messiah, we're all gonna be rich, we're all gonna live in big houses yep. on the Mediterranean and it's gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus like kept being so humble and serving and they were like really hungry and Judas is kind of like, okay, this is not what I, this is not the vision of power that I thought I was following. Right. It's a little different because I don't think Jesus was selling that, yeah. uh, you know, he wasn't like selling Jesus yeah. as in a false way, selling himself in a false way. But I do think somehow Judas had gotten this vision that wasn't working out. And mm-hmm. so what did he do? He sought the influence that the enemies of Jesus would give him, which again, I think you see mm-hmm. in a lot of these deconstruction myths, it's like, oh, they'll pay me to tell me what Christianity is really like. And, right. you know? yep. and so it, to me, it's just a very interesting case study yeah. to all of this. Yeah, to your point, like very fascinating to think about the life of Judas. Like, did Jesus, was Jesus duped? No, right? right? But like Romans tells us, and I was reading Romans this past weekend, like the patience of God is meant mm. to lead us to repentance, right? That's right. Jesus loved Judas even still. Yeah. And even though he knew that Judas would be the one who would deceive him, Jesus was patient with him. He was there. Judas's ultimate hope, just like all the disciples and ours, was to repent. Mm-hmm. And, and even after he betrayed Jesus for silver, you know, he could have repented. But he realized that the thing that he had been living for didn't deliver him. He could not imagine his life lasting any longer, right? And so he he even still could have repented just like the thief on the cross i mean there, there's right. this this sure. opportunity that we all have um no matter how many foolish well and, and the way i've talked about that i mean however you want to define repentance and that's probably a conversation for another day there was at least some brokenness that judas experienced but there wasn't saving faith. Mm-hmm. He wasn't willing to go back to Jesus for his forgiveness and mercy that Jesus would have fully given. And this mm-hmm. is my, like, the thing that I, the, the thing that breaks my heart in all these situations, like, again, we keep talking about Joshua Harris, but like, he, he, uh, you know, Bubba Hood, like we mm-hmm. had this friend that went to seminary with us and he is just, you know, same kind of thing. Like, and I, the last conversation I had with him was look one day when you are broken over all of this you know these lies and this deceit that you've been spreading around about our lord know that he will still forgive you Mm. you know know that you can run back to him and don't don't kill yourself basically don't do what judas did Mm -hmm. like when you get broken over this you can come back to the lord and 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 the lord will forgive you and and i'm not i can't guarantee you that like everyone associated with the name of christ will but i will Mm -hmm. and 
true Christians will like, like we will forgive you. And, um, he just kind of shrugged it off, but I, you know, I, I, I really believe that. And, and that's yeah. one of the things that's haunting for me, for some of these folks now that, that are being there. And I'll just say this, if you're like down that path and you're somehow listening to this podcast, like Jesus will forgive you and the blood of Christ can, can cleanse Amen. even the person that has so betrayed and denied the Lord. And so, mm-hmm. because I think Peter's like that. I mean, yep. Peter is a, a really good case study and somebody who really abandoned his Lord in his time of need. And, but Peter was so confident in the forgiveness and mercy that Jesus gives. I want to pivot from this though. This is, we could probably do a whole podcast on deconstruction, but, but using the decision grid. Um, and I do want to make it very clear. Yes. Like if the pattern of your life is wicked and foolish, you're, you're likely not a repentant believer, but, but I think all of us as Christians can be helped because we're, we're always in these moments of, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? And I, I think just thinking like, okay, is this righteous? Is this pleasing to God? Does this obey all the commands of God? And is this wise or is this foolish is, is just a really good paradigm to think through, uh, you know, for decisions. And so I don't know, thoughts, comments that you have, my hope again, is this, this would be a pastoral tool. And when I say pastoral tool, a disciple making tool from, from mm-hmm. pastors to church members, but also from church member to church member, like that people would just say, okay, let's think about this together yeah. and uh, make decisions that ultimately please the Lord. I, I think it's super helpful. I felt like it was uh, the whole the whole of yesterday was putting some handles on Christian living. Like, okay, I, I thought I could only make a righteous or a wicked decision, or I thought I could only make a, a wise or a foolish decision. But when we see, oh, there's a right way in a right time in God's economy to choose this thing, the Lord will help me know what it is. Oh, okay, well, that moves me um, into the righteous and wise category versus the the righteous and yet wicked category. I mean, there's, I, I thought it was really good to break it down, put some handles on, okay, we've got not just righteous and wicked, not just foolish mm-hmm. and wise, but man, there's a there's a right way to do the right thing and a right time to do the right thing. Yeah, um, I, I would say, you know, this, this decision grid becomes something, um, how do I say this, that, that's not, <laughs> something that you should stop every morning and and think about every little decision that you have throughout the day and put it through this grid. It's something that becomes a part of who you are as you see God for who he is, if that makes sense. But then you have these big crossroads moments, I think, in life, big time decisions with big time implications, whereby you need to invite a community of faith around you to like literally sit down and map out kind of where, you know, what's wise here? What, what do you see in me? And so I think, um, you know, it is important for us to have a Christian community around us for kind of those bigger decisions. I, my fear would be that someone would, would think about this decision grid and think that like, you've got to, you know, where you're going to eat lunch today needs to go through this grid. That is not, that's not it. You know, you make a, be a faithful steward of your, the body that God has given you, make good decisions in a good trajectory. Of course you could apply that to this grid. It works, but this is, this you, is, you don't have to invite your whole community yeah, group over for that. Decision yeah, you don't have now. to do that. And so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways, you, you get what I'm saying? Like th- this is a, a really helpful tool 
um, for us. Yeah. And looking in retrospect, we can put all of our decisions through this and just kind of see what are those patterns. And, and oh, even yeah. And, yeah, and even to the lunch decision, like I, I would love if people thought about, okay, like I'm going to eat lunch, you know, five times this week or seven times this week or whatever it is. Like I want to be obedient to the great commission and be a disciple maker. Could I use one of those lunches? That's a command of the Lord. Could I use one of those lunches to um, do that? Now, um, but to the point about righteousness and wisdom, like some lunches, like, you know, I need to keep working at this. I only have 15 minutes. Like, you know, I need to just be wise and just get a sandwich real quick or whatever. And so, but, but, but thinking about, okay, how am I going to live my life in a way that is ultimately the most effective for the Lord? And there's this mm-hmm. balance of righteousness and mm-hmm. wisdom uh, in that. Um, and, and, and we've all, we've all seen that. And, and there's kind of the categories of, um, you know, like for example, um, you know, the, 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 the righteous, and I, I would say like typically like Christian liberalism, um, kind of falls to the far right, the bottom right, uh, quadrant. Um, you know, there may be some wisdom there. They may be like well-received by outsiders, but there's just not a love for the righteousness of God. Yeah. And Christian fundamentalism can kind of tend toward the upper left. Mm-hmm. There may be like a love for righteousness, but they're not walking wisely toward outsiders. There's not like a wisdom of, of how do I apply this in my life? And so an example that's coming to mind, just using evangelism, obviously God wants us to evangelize, but the guy that's on the, you know, the corner that's just yelling at people. Now you could question his motives. Like, is he just doing that as like some sort of a works righteousness in which case it would be foolish and wicked, mm-hmm. yeah. but, um, but maybe he's like doing it with a good heart and a good posture, but is that actually going to be effective to advance the kingdom? Is he actually accomplishing his goals? He's lacking wisdom there. And so that's where I think this can be so helpful because, you know, I come across Christians all the time. We're like, I know this is right. I know this is right. This is, and yes, but it may be only considering part of what righteousness is. And it may not be considering wisdom and it may not be considering how the Lord desires, desires us to obey. And and I used yesterday the Christian zealot, for example, Jesus mm-hmm. encountered all of these zealots that were probably a lot of them frustrated with Jesus for being so like kind and merciful to people around him and saying, don't you see that these people are wicked? You know, yeah. I, I can imagine a Christian zealot seeing Jesus talking to like the, the woman at the well, for example, and saying like, how would he talk to him? Or we know like he dines with tax, like when he mm-hmm. went over to the Matthew's house, like all the like upper, upper left people were saying like, what is he doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. he's a drunkard, right? Um, but no, Jesus was living out he was Jesus. He was living out God's true righteousness. And then on the other side of the coin, um, you know, people thought that Jesus, you know, he was ultimately crucified. They could say, well, he was a fool. He wasn't wise. And so I think that there's, um, I think that, you know, thinking through this and just the lens of Christ, it's just a helpful tool to say, okay, where am I in this? Am I so committed to righteousness here? Which again, I would never say you shouldn't be committed to righteousness, but Am I committed to godly wisdom as I am committed to righteousness? Mm-hmm. Those things aren't in yeah. opposition to one another, but they can they can complement one another. And I, I love piggybacking off of that. When when I do make a wise and righteous decision, and it's led by the Lord, 
I know him more in that moment. I, I start to see, oh, this is your heart. This is your character. And so the decision almost takes a, it does, it takes a backseat to, man, I know the Lord more fully. Therefore, I'm enjoying the Lord more fully. And you realize this, this is not about all these good decisions. Mm-hmm. This is about God and knowing him and enjoying him and glorying in That's him. Right. The goal here is having the heart of Christ. That's right. But we're just trying to put some handles on how, from what Jesus has revealed about himself in his word, how we as Christians can grow in developing the heart of Christ and the mind of Christ. Well, for Blake Rogers and Thomas Nelson, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.